0: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 301 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, March 26th. I'm your host Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Woodley, Sean, find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Uh, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke. Of course, David Locke had Adam Silver on the podcast last week. Uh, didn't end up having any clips from that podcast on this show. I was going to, but things were kind of busy, and things got a little, excuse me, things got a little crazy with uh, the Raptors playing the Cavs and all the stuff that came out of that, and uh, it was just like a busy week, so we didn't really get to that stuff, but... Uh, make sure you check out David's interview with Adam Silver on his podcast last week, Locked on NBA. Uh, make sure you're checking out the Locked on NBA iTunes channel. All those shows are available there. And you can uh, find the shows separately as well on iTunes. If you find a show or a host that you dig, make sure you find it and support them a little bit with a subscription. And uh, ratings and reviews are nice as well. And if you find Locked on Raptors, please do that takes no time at all. It's like five seconds. Leave a rating, leave a review, five stars, four stars, ideally five stars. It's uh, nice to have the the high number of five-star reviews. Um, But, yeah, any feedback on there is welcome, of course, and I I very much appreciate it because it helps to juice the algorithm or whatever the hell iTunes says it does. So please do that, and uh, thank you in advance. All right, on today's show, old school, just me. Talking about stuff. It's going to be a bit of a group therapy session because the Raptors uh, lost a very stupid game to the Clippers on Sunday. I don't have any notes right now. I just have the box score up and I'm going to kind of just riff because uh, this is a weird game that uh, for some reason elicited a very angry, angsty, harsh reaction from Raptors Twitter Maybe this is just because I was running the Raptors HQ account last night at the game, Um, and obviously that account has far more followers than I do, and people get up in the mentions, there's just like a greater per capita number of uh, intense Raptors fans following that account than I think people who are following me. I'm very okay with my meager following. Um, It's it's nice and quiet most of the time. Um, But yeah, it was just, it was a very intense reaction to a game that was very bad. The Raptors did not play particularly well outside of the first like six minutes of the game. Um, but just the overwhelming response to the game was very exhausting, so we'll get to that. Uh going to talk about some of the lineup decisions that were made there in that game. We'll talk about, uh, I don't know, just kind of, we'll just bounce around the game and look at the box score and see what happened, I guess. That's pretty much the plan for today. Uh, so, yeah, let's just get into it, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, for those who didn't see it, the Raptors lost 117-106 to the Clippers. The first six minutes were great. They, the first six or seven minutes, actually. They went up 27-9. Jonas Valanciunas scored the first eight points of the game. He had 12 points in the first 14. And he was just he was dominating DeAndre Jordan as he's wont to do whenever he plays DeAndre Jordan. It was looking really good. And then uh, about five minutes left in the first quarter, Jonas Valanciunas picks up his second foul of the game. And things kind of spir- spiraled out of the control from there. The Clippers mounted a bit of a comeback. They were down just 7 at the end of the first quarter, um, scoring 17 points in the last five minutes. And uh, from there, it was just, you know, it was kind of a back and forth battle. It was an even second quarter. The Raptors fell down in the third and they kind of brought it back. It was tied at 80 going into the fourth. And then start of the fourth, the bench just kind of took a dump on itself and gave up a 16-2 run to a Clippers bench unit featuring Boban Marjanovic and Montrez. Harrell at the four and five, and that duo was just too much for the Raptors to handle. Um, but I guess let's just go back to the start of the game and sort of what happened and what was looking good. I mean, the offense was just flowing perfectly. They were, you know, looking for Jonas because it's clearly a matchup they're willing to exploit and kind of go at, and it worked really well. Uh, Kyle Lowry looked pretty good. OG Obi, I think maybe is the most encouraging sign from this game. Uh, he played 18 minutes. He was three of seven from the field, one of three from deep. Like not a very amazing stat line or anything. Seven points, four boards. One assist, but he drove with confidence a couple times, and that was excellent to see. He had a nice little up and under finish. Um and OG has been kind of, you know, listless the last couple weeks, and maybe he's hit the rookie wall or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I thought last night was a nice encouraging side from OG. But after that start, Yakapur came in after the second foul for Jonas, and I think that's kind of the the tipping point. Yak was uh not good in this one. He had to play 25 minutes because JV uh, sat out for so long. With, with foul trouble, he picked up his fourth foul in the middle of the third quarter as well, and that kind of ended his night. Um, he only played 20 minutes. Yak played 25 minutes and just not one of his better performances. He was a minus 14 on the night, um, and it was kind of the same situation the second Sunday in a row in which Yak pertle got bullied by a very physical die-first center. Steven Adams was last week, of course, and this week it was DeAndre Jordan, and it just it didn't work out well for Opertel. pertle has a lot of great Qualities and normally his pick and roll defense is excellent, but I think these more athletic guys uh, can kind of get at him a little bit. But I don't know. It just it's kind of weird because normally you know Pirtle's so intelligent with his rotations and he knows the positioning perfectly. He kind of I think weighs who the opposing point guard is with the the big man and kind of finds the pro- proper sweet spot of where to sort of negotiate that pick and roll. And he just didn't do it in this game, and it just it led to a whole bunch of just. I don't know. It, it, it's not like DeAndre Jordan had a huge game like Steven Adams had last week. He was just 9 of 14, but it's kind of where everything broke down, right? It was, you know, the, the pick and roll would sort of collapse the paint, and then they would go out, and find shooters, uh, Tobias Harris, Wesley Johnson. Like, Wes Johnson going 3 of 3 from deep is weird, uh, but he did that, and that that was a killer. And then Montrez Harrell, when he was playing center, kind of had the effect that Steven Adams has la- had last week, and like that dude is such a low. That guy in his career now is 30 of 38 from the field against the Raptors, which is insane. That's five career games. Uh, he averages 14 points a game against the Raptors. That's, 2.3, 2.5 points more than he averages against any other team in the league. Uh, it's super weird how much Montrez Harrell owns the Raptors. He was 19 points on 9 of 12 shooting last night, so he kind of took over that Steven Adams role, and it was just way too much for Pertle to handle. He just couldn't hang with him physically. Um, he didn't get, like, killed in the glass or anything like that. Like, Pertle grabbed nine boards. The Raptors actually out-rebounded the Clippers in this game, but just the, the overall ability to s- stop that sort of charging guy, in Montrose. Harrell was pretty hard, and Harrell had five offensive boards, so I guess that's sort of a little area uh, where the rebounding total is kind of misleading, because Harrell just really kind of feasted there, but uh, that was kind of the source of a lot of the issues. Uh, Boban Marjanovic looking at his stat line, it seems like he had much more of an impact on the game, but he only played six minutes. Four points, three boards, one assist, two of three from the field, but all of that came at the start of the fourth quarter when the Clippers just kind of just sat on the on the Raptors' throats. Sat on the throats? I guess stomped on the throats um, and put the game out of reach. I mean, you go into the fourth quarter, and I tweeted about this. I tweeted a graphic at the time. The Raptors going into the fourth quarter uh, tied at 80, you would give the Raptors the significant advantage if you're betting on that game. The Raptors so far this season have been the best fourth quarter team in the league. There have been, you know, through all the crunch time issues, and there have been some, you know, both recently and over the course of the whole year, uh, the Raptors have been awesome in fourth quarters. Their defense has been fantastic, so even when the offense has let them down, they've been able to hang in games. I think that Houston game kind of comes to mind, where their late game defense was just, you know, pristine, and that's kind of helped them, you know, I think maybe negotiate those tricky offensive finishes a little bit. Um, And so going into the fourth quarter, the Raptors were two and two and a half points ahead of the Utah Jazz as the best fourth quarter team in the league league, a plus 10.8 net rating, a sub 100 defensive rating, like they've been really good in fourth quarters. A lot of that is the bench just kicking ass in garbage time. But it's also like there's there have been fewer games recently where um, that's been a thing. And the Raptors have come back in pretty much all the fourth quarters they played over the last two weeks, because they have kind of just not played the first three quarters and, and napped through them. So they've had to be great in the fourth. And I think if there's, like, a reason for optimism over the last two weeks, um, aside from the fact that the Raptors are 54-20 and 20 and are really good, uh, I think it's that when they've really had to, they've shown that they're still very good um, and not this, like, uninspired and lazy team that they've kind of been the last couple weeks. Uh, but that went away in the fourth quarter against the Clippers, and it was uh, a brutal sort of stretch. Uh, 16-2, of course, the Raptors made a switch that uh, that kind of, I think, was... Maybe the tipping point for Raptors fans on Twitter and like people got really angry about it Um, I'll get to that in just a second um, but first, just a reminder, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place to check out all the different shows. Uh, and if you are interested in an upcoming Raptors opponent, maybe you should check out their show. Locked On Nuggets, for example, is hosted by Adam Mares, and he does an awesome job. He also hosts Locked On NBA on Fridays with Anthony Irwin. Uh, make sure you're checking out Adam Marez on Locked On Nuggets ahead of tomorrow's game against the Nuggets. All right, so apologies for that clunky lead up into an ad. Uh, and uh, let's get back to what I was talking about there. Uh, the Raptors at the start of the fourth quarter, they go down 11 2, and Boban and Montrez Hill are just kind of bullying the typical front court pairing in that time of the game Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl. Uh Pertl's continuing struggles from the start of the game. Siakam, I, I didn't think he was particularly bad, it just the, that physical matchup of. You know, seven foot nine Bobon and enormous hulking mountainous Montrez Harrell who's jumping all over the place. This wasn't really working for Siakam and Pirtle. Um, and people, you know, were understandably sort of looking for Jonas Valanciunas, who hadn't played since the mid third quarter when he picked up that foul, um, I think with about eight minutes left in the third. And, you know, he had a lot of success earlier in the game scoring and sort of being a functional. Uh, sort of fulcrum for the offense and uh, you would have expected that at the timeout uh, called at 9.30 left after the 11-2 run the, by the Clippers to start things you would have thought, hey, maybe this is the time Jonas is going to come in and uh, and we'll see how it works and that's not how it worked and the Raptors ended up making a decision Dwayne Casey decided to put Serge Ibaka instead of Jonas uh, in place of Jakob Pertl. so they went with the Siakam and Ibaka front court. and it just got dummied for a minute or so they were a minus five and no time at all Uh, It just, it didn't work at all. You know, Montrezl Harrell had a dunk. Uh, Bobon had a dunk as well. It just, it it didn't work. And the Raptors uh, go down by 14 at that point, 96-82. And people were losing their goddamn minds. And I guess that's totally understandable because the lineup just did not seem, just the way the game was flowing, it felt like the Raptors really should have gone with some muscle as opposed to being more of a finesse lineup there. Um, And I understand people being upset about it. That said, I totally get what Dwayne Casey's doing here and what he was doing there. I think we've talked all season long about how there's not enough data on a lot of these Raptors lineups because they have been, you know, rolling that five-man unit, they've been kind of stuck with two, like hockey change lineups for most of the season and that's all we really have data on and the Pascal Ibaka front court is going to be important. Zach Lowe touched on this last week on his podcast with Chris Herring, um, and I totally agree with him, and I've been saying it all season long. Like the the Ibaka Siakam front court has very, very you know few minutes played together. I think before last night they had 159 minutes played together, uh, so to be 160 now, I suppose. They were plus 11.8 uh, net rating as a pairing, and it makes a lot of sense defensively, offensively. Uh, it just seems to work with Ibaka at center, Pascal at the four. Uh, but they haven't gone to that very much. And that was a lineup that I thought we would have made have seen against the, the Cavs last week, but we didn't really see it. And my thinking there was hey, maybe they just don't want to use this and have the Cavs be able to scout it in game ahead of time. Um, but like, I don't think it's a bad idea to get that line lineup some run. And I think in theory, having Siakam and Pirtle sort of try to out offense a Boban, Montrez, Harold front court is kind of not a bad idea. It didn't work. The game flow didn't really dictate that that was what they should have gone with, and they ended up losing the game. And that was a big part of it. That five, you know, that five-zero run was kind of the difference. I think the Raptors made a nice spirited comeback, got it to within five after a surge three in the corner um, with a couple minutes left. But then Lou Williams decided he was just going to make every shot from there on out, and it kind of ended it. That five-zero run uh, in that minute or so, or forty-five seconds, whatever it was, uh, kind of ended up being, you know, maybe obviously they lost by eleven, so it's not the exact difference between the the win and a loss but if you have at nine minutes or nine and a half minutes left a nine point deficit that's a lot more or a lot more manageable than a 14 point deficit with nine minutes left and that's kind of exactly what the Raptors put themselves in with that lineup and how it uh kind of crapped themselves that little in that little stretch um but like this is kind of the the outrage over the decision it kind of grinds me a little bit for a few reasons first of all this is the kind of decision that Dwayne Casey has been chided for not making in the past. Normally, you know, Casey's, and, and I totally agree with this critique, that Casey's been too reactive as a coach. He's gone sort of, he's too willing to sort of bend to what the other team wants to do as opposed to forcing the opposing team to play the way he wants to play. And this was an example, I think, of Casey trying to be proactive and say, all right, Clippers, you're going to go with this huge lineup. We're going to put this really hard to guard lineup with Siakam and Abaka out there. And, you know, we'll see what you can do with it. I, 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 don't think you'll be able to defend this with an enormous Boban and Montrez Harrell, Montrez Harrell who aren't particularly mobile guys in comparison to Siakam and, and and Ibaka. Siakam hit a couple threes that game. He's obviously doing more with the ball in his hands. His spacing is less of a liability at this point and Ibaka is always kind of hanging around the perimeter and, and, and is very okay to shoot threes when they come to him. That's a lineup that you know could have potentially worked in a different scenario. Obviously Ibaka had a rough couple weeks and maybe that kind of should have factored into the decision making here, you know, if Abaka was on a run where he was shooting 40% over the last three weeks, maybe you'd feel a little bit more comfortable with that, maybe people would have been happy with it, uh, but I think just sort of the anger with Abaka and the frustration with his play of late kind of fed into uh, people being upset about the decision, and like, I don't begrudge people for the decision, because obviously it ended up contributing to the loss for the Raptors, but also at the same time, in addition to it being a, a proactive move by Casey, in a situation where a lot of the times he's been reactive in the past, I just think Casey, I think very much like the players, is probably overwinning regular season games. And he would never say this, pound the rock and all that stuff. Um, But, like, I think Casey there's a very good chance that he's probably moved into a point of the season where he's trying to workshop some stuff and see what he has and kind of hammer some things out before the playoffs so we can try to get some pet lineups that he can count on in certain situations and I don't begrudge him at all for testing out a lineup that in theory is going to be used a lot, maybe the crunch time front court for the Raptors in a lot of important games, especially against stretchier teams like I would be not shocked if we saw starting five of like Lowry, DeRozan, Miles, Siakam Ibaka at some point in a series against the Cavaliers, that seems to be their best offensive bet. And if you're going to beat the Cavs, you're going to have to outscore them because they're going to score a shit ton on you. Um, so like, we're going to have to see Pascal and, and Ibaka at a certain time. And this was an opportunity to get a look at them against the lineup that, you know, kind of overmatched them physically, but, you know, may have had some liabilities defensively if everything was humming correctly. Um, so the whole idea that, oh, Casey cost this game, like it's bigger than this one game, man. Like it really is. And I think, you know, the, the Casey's allowed to experiment too. Casey's allowed to try to work on some stuff and try to test things, test some things out before the playoffs. There's eight games left. I mean, it just it, it feels like jumping on Casey for one bad decision. And like, granted, there's been some questionable rotation, you know, choices over the last few weeks, um, and that's been a concern. But I also think that factors into everything I've said. In that, you know, the the. The, the decisions that he's making right now are probably in the interest of trying to find some things to work. He's used different lineups. He's used stuff we haven't really seen before. He's gotten a little creative. He has not played a ton of Jonas Valanciunas late in games of late. I don't think that's a bad thing because if there are certain teams that Jonas is not going to be able to be on the floor against, as good as he's been this season, as, as improved as his defense is, there are going to be times where he can't be on the court. And I think the Cavs are an example of that. We saw it last week. Um, so I don't begrudge Casey at all for trying to test some stuff out here. Uh, didn't work and maybe the context of the game and the way way Serge has been playing lately may have made the decision pretty obviously poor at the time it was made, but I don't, again, I have no problem with him making the call and seeing how, how it worked, because if they go out and hit two threes on the on the Cavs, or on the, on the Clippers in the next two possessions down, then we're talking about this entirely differently, and it's, oh man, Casey put out this great lineup that, you know, kind of forced the Clippers to take off that front court that was killing them so badly and go back to a more traditional lineup um, with Tobias Harris at the four or whatever, like it, it just... Everything is based on the result as opposed to the process. And I think the process for Casey has been, while unpredictable the last couple weeks, I think it's been totally fair and reasonable to try to test some stuff out and sort of see what he has in some of these guys and some of these lineups. And uh, I just... The the whole consternation over that one decision uh, really sort of flooded the timeline, and it was exhausting. And I guess this kind of leads into some of the bigger stuff that, that came out of the game and sort of the the, the discourse after the game, uh, which was equally frustrating. And so this, and again, I, I feel kind of weird getting angry about this stuff and going on my soapbox because I don't think it's a majority of the fan base that's like this. I think, you know, there's still a lot of people, and it's understandable for a team that's been so sort of beaten down over the last five years. Even while it's been successful, there's been a lot of criticism and second-guessing and all that stuff over the playoff shortcomings and all and all what's gone on over the last few years, but um, I, so I don't think it's the entire fan base, but I do think More than most fan bases, the the Raptors fan base is just really quick to look for stuff that's wrong and sort of look for reasons why things aren't going to work out. And running the HQ account last night, man, there was just like a lot of people being like, oh, man, this team's going to lose in the first round. Uh, This is an embarrassing team, blah, 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 blah. Kyle Lowry's selfish because he picked up a technical foul late in the game. Kyle Lowry's been incredible the last couple weeks, and he's the reason they've won some of these games while not playing particularly well. And it just feels like... The last couple of weeks, and with the game against the Clippers kind of being the the explosion point, I guess if you're you, the way I wrote it last night in my recap was if the last few games were tremors, like the game against the, the Clippers was a full-on earthquake that kind of shook everybody, um, and it just people I think are really looking for a reason for to not believe in this team, and I think. Yes, they have not played well the last eight or so games. They've not been good. They've kind of rested on their laurels a bit. They've kind of gotten by just on nerve um, and, and just enough in fourth quarters or overtime against the Mavs in that case uh, to pull out games. And that's not a way you want to go about winning games. You want to be as professional and whatever over the course of an entire 48-minute game as you can be. But I think it's very understandable that for a team that's played I don't know what is it is. Like 10 games in 16 days or whatever the the figure is. It's a lot of games and not many days. I think it's understandable that these kind of habits would creep creep in. And I think just the I don't think it's a coincidence that the worst stretch of this season has come at a time in which the Raptors' schedule is very loaded and and they're also kind of sitting in a place where they're very kind of comfortable in their standing. I guess they're only three and a half games up on Boston still. That's not quite squared away because there's two games left against the Celtics. You win one of those, I guess, probably pretty much squared away. Um, but I think the fact that they're comfortable and also... In a really rough part of the schedule, I think that's kind of all, it all makes sense that they're kind of struggling right now to put it together for entire games, um, and the defense has been a, an issue, of course, they're, I think they're down to 15th over the last eight games or so, um, and that's that's not great, they out of the top five in the NBA in defensive rating, I think they're sixth now, after being top four for most, top four or five for most of the year, Um, I think up to third as recently as a couple weeks ago and that's not encouraging obviously that's not what you want to be going to the playoffs like but uh, I just think the 65-game sample of this team being ridiculous and blowing teams out and being you know prolific on both ends of the court is a lot more important than the last eight games where all of the factors around the games, the context, makes sense that this would kind of be one of the roughest parts of the schedule. The team still hasn't lost back-to-back games in ages. They haven't lost to a bad team in a long time. Um, and they just... They, 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 they're... They're still winning these games, which is the thing. Like, yes, they lost to Cleveland, but that game, I think, was as encouraging as it was d- d- discouraging. You could kind of look at it from both sides. Um, and the offense, you know, over the last eight or so games has been the best in the league. They've been scoring at a ridiculous rate right now. And Kyle Lowry, I think, coming back into form, looking the way he has, you know, I think that above all is what people should be looking at from this part of the schedule because, like, Kyle is the engine of this team. As good as DeMar has been this season, and DeMar has definitely struggled lately, too. I think he's probably a little bit tired. Kyle Lowry is the engine of the Raptors, and if he's not going, the Raptors aren't going anywhere, and he's very much going right now, and the plan of, you know, kind of keeping him fresh all season really seems to be coming to fruition, and he just looks like he's on, he's really just, like, on a high right now going into the playoffs. Uh, Still a couple weeks away, of course, but he looks really good right now, and I think that, above all else, is the most encouraging thing. And I just think the statistical profile of the team... Everything about this team suggests that they're different and that they are not going to just like limp into the playoffs and that they are the team that was, you know, the as prolific as they were for the first 65 games as opposed to the last nine or 10. Um, I just the the urge to just like discredit everything they've done because they've played poorly and they're not winning by enough. Like, that's the thing that gets me like, oh, man, you shouldn't be this close against the Clippers. The Clippers are a good team that are fighting for a playoff spot. Had they lost last night, they're probably out of the playoff race in the Western Conference where every loss matters so much, and they're two games out of the loss column, and they're just the intensity of some of these teams that they're coming across is inherently going to be higher than what the Raptors are able to muster, because the Raptors aren't in a position where they have to try all that hard. Um, you know, you look back over the last couple weeks, the, the Thunder are in a playoff race out west. The Cavs, you know, getting Kevin Love back, I think it's understandable that they were pretty energized for that Wednesday game against the Raptors, especially after getting murdered by the Raptors back in January. Um, of course, the Raptors should have probably been up for that one too, and they definitely were because they scored, I don't know, unstoppable rate Um, the defense couldn't hang but like they were good in that game they played well for the most part and like Indiana for example like a lot of these teams just have greater motivations for the Raptors than the Raptors do right now and I think it's totally human for the Raptors to kind of sit back a little bit and not try to overexert themselves and we talk about this all the time early in seasons like oh teams shouldn't overexert themselves going for wins or whatever the Warriors shouldn't go for 73 wins uh, blah 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 blah. I think you know it's just because of the time of the year in which the effort has kind of waned a little bit I don't think it matters I think it's had the Raptors been going to Super hard through this time of the schedule and sort of you know put going balls to the wall for all these games. I feel like people would be concerned about the wear and tear that's going to happen to the team when they get to the playoffs and sort of you know trying too hard when you're already up by so much. Like I just. Hey, you're never going to win, I guess, and people are always going to be upset about something, but it just feels like the game against the Clippers was bad, and I don't really understand why it had to be this sort of turning point where the entire fan base, or again, not the entire fan base, just like a big chunk of the fan base, at least ones I was dealing with, were sort of jumping off the bandwagon for for whatever reason. Like, they're 54-20. and 20, They're a really damn good team. And I don't know. I've ranted a lot on this podcast, and I've kind of repeated myself a whole bunch, um, and I should probably leave it there, but that's just kind of where I'm at. They're, they're a very good team. They, they're they obviously in a bit of a rough stretch right now. I think you can point out the concerns and critiques with how they've played lately and, and sort of say there, there are some valid things there. Like Jakob Pertl forgetting how to defend pick and rolls. Not great. I'm not sure how replicable ah, replicable it's going to be against some uh, of the big men in the Eastern Conference because DeAndre Jordan and Steven Adams aren't exactly, you know, popping up all over the place. Not every team has one of those guys. Um, and I think Yak has shown over the course of two seasons that he's too good and smart a defender to struggle this much. I think he's probably a little bit tired. He's played every single game this season. Uh, he's a high-energy guy. Um, and I think it's going to do the Raptors really well. After the Nuggets game on Tuesday, they have... Uh, just two games over the course of eight days, like, that's going to be huge. I think that you can't understate how important that's going to be. Serge Bach has not played very well. That uh, The closer we get to the playoffs before he ramps things up, the more concerning it gets. But at the same time, uh, I've kind of been on the surge is going to be fine train all along because I think come playoff time, he kind of knows when to rat- ratchet it up, and he did it last year. He's done it over the last five or six years in the playoffs, so I think he's going to be just fine. And, like, the shot seems to be there. There was a report today from Josh Lewinberg that Serge was the last guy in the gym at practice just shooting for the 45 minutes after practice today Um, I think that's encouraging I think that's a positive sign I think you know getting confidence back or whatever like you know these things you know guys go through the motions in a, in a season and teams go through the motions in a season the Raptors had been kind of immune from that most of the year uh it was a rocky start to the year but the schedule had a lot to do with that with the road trip early on and a really tough slate um they kind of coasted through like four months of the schedule and teams don't do that even the Rockets had like a five game losing streak at one point this year the Warriors are up and down like I think the Raptors, you can kind of... The leash that they've earned with how well they played for the first... You know, ninety percent of the season. I think it uh, it should be a lot longer than what people are kind of giving them, and and sort of it seems like people have reached the end of the leash after last night's game against the Clippers, and I think that's premature, and I don't think that's totally fair uh, to how the Raptors have played. And uh, I don't know. I've I've ranted enough. You can critique some of the issues. Again, I think a lot of them can be kind of explained by the context of the season and where they're at, and sort of what Dwayne Casey's priorities would be right now in terms of his rotations and how he's working on things. Um, It makes sense that he's trying to try some different lineups right now guys it really does um anyway i'm done i think uh we can get into maybe some more nuanced discussion of some of the issues that are going on uh on tuesday's episode maybe wednesday uh, we'll see what happens with the game against the Nuggets tomorrow. The Nuggets are coming off a back-to-back in that game. They play Philly tonight, uh, and their season is very much on the line. They are, I think, one game out of the lost column in the playoff race out west. Uh, that every game for them is super important. But they've also been a team that's like laid down to the Grizzlies and stuff. So not sure what that's going to look like. But um, yeah, no, the the, the this will be an interesting week. Of course, Boston on Saturday will preview that heavily uh, ahead of time. And you know, if things go poorly against Boston and Cleveland and Boston, maybe we can start to revisit whether some of these issues are going to, you know, plague the Raptors in the playoffs. But I guess my suggestion to people who are really worried would be like go watch a Bucks game and see how crappy they are, and uh, you won't be too scared. Um, That's essentially what I'm at right now. The Raptors are going to find their way again, I think, and the rest coming up should help help them a lot. And uh, I've talked a lot. I've repeated myself a lot and uh, thanks so much for joining me on today's Monday edition of Sean Rambles on Rants about angry Raptors fans and uh, we'll be back again on Tuesday make sure you find the show on iTunes leave a rating leave a review thank you so much for doing that it uh, really, really helps and makes us more visible and stuff Notice stuff's up in the, the top 100 of the rankings a couple times recently uh, it's very cool to be in there and hopefully we can kind of keep that going through the playoffs uh, also if you're a listener to the headquarters the podcast I do for Raptors HQ the week, weekly podcast that has not been around for a few months uh, I'm going to bring back starting next week i believe uh to sort of ramp up towards the playoffs because it feels like we should have that podcast going during the playoffs because it's fun and you get lots of guests and stuff on there and uh we kind of have a good time with it so the the headquarters will be back as well starting next week so t- stay tuned for that and uh thank you so much for tuning in we'll talk to you again on tuesday i'm out of breath <laughs> and i'll uh i'll gain that back and come back on tuesday with another episode of locked on raptors cheers